I remember the first time someone used the word orphan to describe me. I was like, oh, but, oh. <laughs> because I was like, well, you can't be an adult orphan, can you? Is that, can you be an adult orphan? I was orphaned as an adult. But do we, how does that, what are the rules? Hello and welcome back to Daddy Issues podcast with me and Harrod George Carey. Daddy Issues is a podcast exploring fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you think you have, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us, so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this conversation as one that needs to be recognised, heard and confronted. If you like what you hear, please do feel free to rate, review and subscribe because I love hearing all your feedback, but more importantly, it gets to more ears and the more ears, the merrier. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you get on with the episode now and I hope you have a wonderful listen. In today's episode, I am speaking to Molly O'Shea. Molly is a screenwriter from both London and New Zealand. At the tender age of 21, just as the first taste of adulthood began to hit, Molly's mother, Kathy, died of a brain tumour, leaving Molly parentless. Last year, Molly wrote and performed her debut one-woman show about her mother's death, which she has since turned into a short film due to be released later this year. It's called Misfortunate and is, typically for Molly, a dark comedy. Molly plays a character who is not herself, but looks and sounds very similar. Ben Wishaw plays a character called The Humorless Man. Alex Lawther plays a boy called Jack. And Joey the cat plays himself. <laughs> I love that. He does it so Also, well. what a cast. <laughs> yeah. That's was, insane. Yeah, it was, I'm very lucky. As she once said during a beautifully delivered speech, New Zealand director, screenwriter and producer Jane Campion asked her to give about the struggle for young women in the film industry. My mother dying was an unusual experience of a girl my age, but what I realised was that all of my friends were experiencing a very similar version of the same thing. Unreadiness for adulthood, vulnerable and unprepared. So, in lieu of a therapist I could not afford, I wrote a pilot, a comedy about grief in the form of a love letter to the matriarchy. Molly is currently developing a TV series that, in her own words, centres around a support group for Madonnas and whores that quickly becomes Fight Club for Girls. I really want to be in this film, by the way. A feature <laughs> film set, by the way, <laughs> just later. <so you> know. <laughs> A feature film set in a world in which a biological disaster means in order to conceive a child, a woman has to orgasm. A TV series version of Misfortunate and a film about having an inconveniently tight cunt. (laughs) That's why I was like, this is a Molly's words, otherwise it's going to sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can say, yeah, I can talk about my inconveniently tight cunt. This is what Molly sent to me as her bio. It's so good. (laughs) I want to quote everything Molly has said, but it's probably best just to hear from her yourself. So I'll end on something I love Molly once wrote in regards to grief. Grief is like a really bad breakup. That's what romantic comedies and having no living relatives has taught me. Scrolling through Instagram and seeing your ex kissing their new partner prompts the same thought as seeing a cancer charity poster at the bus stop. There's the bitch that stole the person I love. 
Molly, welcome to Daddy Issues and thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my God, I've literally, this has been, this has been brewing for a while. It has, it has, it has. So, um, can we quickly, so short film Misfortunate. Yeah. Mm. That's a really cool cast. It, yes, it is a very cool cast. Um, I'm very lucky that amazing people were available. Well, just really talented and skilled that people want to be in your film. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Uh, well, no. Uh, we had a really good team. The director, Ella Jones, is a real, I mean, I think she's a genius. And I'm so lucky that she wanted to tell the story. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really, it was, I was so chuffed that Ben and Alex wanted to be in it. And also, I mean, uh, and that's that's only two of them. The rest of the cast are also incredible. And Joey the Cat. Joey the Cat. <laughs> yeah. Also, Mitzi the Cat is in it. But who's Mitzi the cat? Well, well, when my mum died at 21, she left me with three cats. Absolute bitch. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, it's a great look. And Never then mind. Didn't, then didn't they die? So, well, no. Joey the cat lives. Joey survives. He is 19 years old. Oh, my God. He's 19 years old. But so in between filming the first part of the film and the second part, Mitzi the cat died. So there was like cat continuity that was impossible. Yeah. But I think we worked around it, you know, fix it in post. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hang on. Sorry. Mitzi that died... In between filming the first bit of the film and the second bit of the film. And Mitzi, do they look like each other? No. Wow. They were two black cats and Mitzi was the tabby. So she's... But it's, you know, I, th- I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. <laughs> you had to do what they had to do what you did in Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. With Princess Leia. <laughs> Wow, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Probably shouldn't put that in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, goodness. Okay, right. <clears throat> now I want to talk about you. So what I tend to do, which I always say in the beginning of my podcast, so anyone who's like a regular listener will hear me have said this like a million times. But what I like to do is I like to just go right to the beginning. Mm-hmm. We once had a really in-depth chat actually after I'd recorded Marvin Harrison and we saw each other mm-hmm. In a coffee shop. Yep, yep, at the fake office. <laughs> in the mm-hmm. fake office. Mm-hmm. And we chatted for like 45 minutes, even though mm-hmm. I was really late to see my friend. <laughs> and you told me, I mean, your story is just unreal. So I, I want to just hear everything and start at the beginning. Okay. So what I'd love you to do is just take me back to the very beginning, where you grew up, what family life was like, etc. Okay, well, I grew up, in London and also a little bit of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with my mum. My dad died when I was six, but he um, didn't live with us and mum and him were like best mates, mm-hmm. but they weren't ever together in my lifetime. Can I quickly ask? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt so quickly, but your dad, because I know, I feel like I know so much about your mum because there's so much about her online mm. and you sent me so many things to do with like for example her obituary and mm. she seems to sort of live loads even in you know misfortunate yeah in your work absolutely <clears throat> but with your dad because this podcast is very much I think about mums and dads yeah because obviously that's like the yeah. experiences that you've had yeah, yeah yeah but with your dad there's I mean I feel like I don't know him at all mm. but does he um because they yeah I saw that they were sort of best friends sort of soulmates in many ways but then never lived together well, it's an interesting, well, 
It's an interesting story, actually, because I had always thought that I was a happy accident. Mm -hmm. And I remember every time I sort of made a joke about that, mum would get really angry and I'd be like, oh my God, come on, it's fine. Like, I know that I'm loved, don't worry, it's all good. But she never told me why. She was a very private person. Mm -hmm. And then a few years ago, I think it was like 2013 maybe, I was visiting my, um, the woman, my aunt, I suppose. She, um, her name's Dorianne and she was married to my uncle who died a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But she's this incredible American, she's just, she's the most glamorous woman I've ever known. She's incredible. And she got really drunk and was like, cause you know, when, when um, your mum was uh, in labor with you, we obviously got on a plane from New York to come and visit you, but none of us knew who your father was. And I was like, <laughs> um, come again? What was that? And mum, mum left me when she died. Mum left me with this like coven of witches. There are all these like right. amazing women in my life, and they they're amazing. They're all incredible, but they're all very opinionated, and none of them agree with each other. And one of them, Lindy, was like, "Oh, I'm so glad you know. I'm so glad you finally know the truth." And I was like, "What is about to happen to me? Oh my god!" And it basically, my mum, <laughs> my mum had got kidney failure in her um, mid twenties, mm-hmm. and. They, she was told that she could never have a child. Okay. And she was with my father at the time. And so she was like, I'm probably going to die. Leave me alone now. And he was like, well, no, which is, you know, nice. And they were friends or lovers? No, they were, they were, I mean, they were please don't make me say that my parents were lovers. <laughs> don't ever, that's a horrible sentence. <laughs> they were involved in a romantic way. Ang Harris. <laughs> Fine. Um, but yeah, they were involved. And uh, then my mum was like, no. And then anyway, and then I think my dad tried to ask her to marry him a couple of times. And she was like, no, I'm busy. <laughs> I am but, yeah, very busy. Yeah, I'm pretty busy. Um, uh, and, but then she decided after she was told that she couldn't have a child, she was like, well, now I'm going to. Mm. And she was, I'm actually the first child ever to be born alive on a, a, a drug that I believe is called cyclosporin, but I could be wrong. Everyone else, all the children had died and so did the mothers. Oh so. my God. A real yeah. fighter. Yeah. I actually, that... Pr- I love that. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. That sort of comforts me in my darkest hours that I'm yeah. like... Yeah. That you're like, you were really meant to be here. Like, Yeah. Well, it was more sort of that I was like born evading death, you know? Yeah. Like... Yes, yeah, so That true. feels... Yeah. And I think I wrote an article about how sort of throughout my life death has always been sort of like near and around. So I've kind of had to befriend him a little bit. What, death? Yeah. 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 Actually, that's very interesting. Yeah, because you've had so, which we'll get to, you've had so much death. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You've had so much death. You've had death for like, you've had death that like an 80 old woman has. (laughs) Yes, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So actually it's, yeah, there's sort of, it's quite Mm. ironic that you were born, you evaded. Yeah. 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 I think, but yeah, what I was saying is that basically my mum chose my dad and was like, I want you to be the father to my child, but you'll have no legal rights. So, um, and my dad was like, absolutely. And then in my actual life, he was really around all the time and he was amazing. But I'd always wondered actually, because I'm I'm a type one diabetic, um, which happened when I was three, because it's, you know, genetic. Um, uh, I'd always thought that that was the reason I never spent a night at my dad's house. I was like, oh, that's a bit shit. He never like learned how to deal with the diabetes. Mm. But actually, no, it was because I was my mum's and that was the you know what sorry I feel like I've like totally skipped loads but I'm just so now we're into this it's so interesting why as in I haven't like gone chronologically at all but how how is your dad okay with like not having 
the rights of you if that makes sense I think I mean I don't know because he died when I was six because he was your biological father correct yeah 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 yeah. I think he I basically think like mum was really cool and if you wanted to be in her life you had to live unconventionally Mm. and he was like okay if if I get like a bit of her then that's fine and he was really there like I hang out with him all the time I have amazing memories of him um was he totally and utterly in love with your mum until the end do you think well he married another woman who ended up of course being the wicked stepmother yeah um she's very wicked in fact really uh yeah there are very few people I could watch be waterboarded but I believe that she is one (laughs) um uh yeah I could easily do that I might even laugh oh god that makes you sound like such a terrible person there you go um uh yeah but yes I mean mum and my dad were always very close and like I was they just were best friends and I think I I don't know that my mum and and like romance is not like that's just not a part of I don't really know anything about that yeah and I yeah okay this is a good point and say right so you and your mum were like a solid unit I actually read in your mum's obituary that Kathy who was your mum was like a mother father brother sister to you she was like everything and then you also had this New Zealand nanny right well we always had so mum was a film editor and she worked um really hard and she had her own company and so there was there was always a nanny who was looking Mm -hmm. after me and it was always a New Zealand a young New Zealand woman fresh off the boat because yeah I don't know it it was nothing against anyone else but mum was like well I was a young New Zealand woman fresh off the boat in London and I had nothing and I needed something and so they would live with us and mainly like smoke and drink with my mother and then take me to school right (laughs) and they were always like and I know all of them now like I was the other ones I was I was you know Sally is um uh I was her bridesmaid about 10 years ago. I'm in touch with all of them because they're like... Sisters. They're family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like surrogate parents. Absolutely. Oh, that's so nice. Mm, mm. So it was you three mainly in London, but Mm -hmm. in New Zealand for a little stint, or you and your mum predominantly. So Mm. what... Yeah, take me back there and then we'll carry on. And your dad was in and out of your life. Well, he no, he just was very in my life. He was very in your life. Until he wasn't when he died. He picked me up from school every Friday and we'd go for lunch and he would come over on weekends and we'd hung out and I don't know I it never felt it, there probably was like a these are the days that you're allowed or whatever but it, it actually always felt more casual than that he was like if he was around he would come around right um and it and he was there a lot until um until the, the wicked witch of the west the stepmother sort of got involved so when course. did stepmother get involved uh, well I was I mean th- I say that I was three when they got married and she didn't let me go to the wedding because um, when you were three <laughs> when I was three because she um, wanted the day to be about her <laughs> oh my goodness I mean really it's flattering that she was so threatened by me you know that's yeah. what we'll take away from that a terrifying three-year-old I know <laughs> yeah um uh, three-year-old whatever. with a real like strategic sort of cunning plan to win her dad's attention I know it's How so bizarre. strange it's really well also like I actually just feel sorry for her because obviously she was very insecure yeah she was so insecure that like yeah he had a child and he really loved me that doesn't mean, like, people don't have, like, a, this is the amount of love, and and I will portion it out, and there's only a certain amount. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, know? yeah. But, whatever. She's, she's fine. She's um, she. Yeah. But 
it was me. I mean, I don't, I remember my dad and that was, he was nice and fun and he gave me great presents. I know that he was always late for everything and he was a really bad driver. My mum used to be like, it's amazing that he didn't die in a car crash. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I have really fond memories of him. And then really, but then when I was six and he died, my mum became my dad. Mm -hmm. And I've never felt, I've never felt, I don't know. It's not that I've ever felt dadless, but I've just never. And there's a lot of, I have a lot of questions about men because I don't really know anything about them because I haven't been near them a lot. Mm-hmm. Or like your archetypal heterosexual male. I'm like, what is it? How does it function? <laughs> Where do they live? And I'm like, I just, yeah. Does it breathe? <laughs> yeah. Like I've never, I have not been around them very many of them. Yeah. Um, but so from that point on it was just me and mom and really it was just me and mom forever until I was 21 and then it wasn't Mm. and how did your dad die heart attack heart attack gosh I believe my dad's was due to some misuse of a white powdery substance (laughs) (laughs) um uh, yeah, I believe. Over I, a course of time or like a one I don't know. Wonder? I mean, I imagine over a course of time. I doubt mm. that he did it for the first time when he was 36. No, but is it like, was it, it after one night? <laughs> oh yeah, it was after one night. It wasn't yeah. like a slow, it was like a shocking, yeah, no one Bender. was expecting him to die. Yeah. Definitely not. Whereas with mum, she'd been, like her health had been sort of um, tumultuous throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. But also I'd never really, so I hadn't noticed that, but you just, it, whatever you're living with is normal. Mm-hmm. So, and she just was never, she just was not a victim of anything. And f- if you tried to like, I don't know, help her with the bags, she would look at you like, I mean, it just, you just couldn't. She was the most independent, fierce woman. Oh, um, love that. Yeah, there was no stopping her. So she was never like, I never saw her as being like unwell, yeah. even though she was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of the thing that killed her, it, she got a brain tumour. Um, well, she actually, when I was 19, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And then um, we thought, and then we were told it was inoperable. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember lying where I'd being like, my mum is going to die. Mm. Okay. And um, honestly, the, I mean, the, the horror of being a woman is, I remember being like, oh God, sh- sh- she'll never have seen me thin because I had such bad body, such bad body issues. I was so ashamed of being not thin mm. that I was like, that's the great, that's the, that's the tragedy here. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, oh, anyway. Yeah. But it was synonymous with happiness for me. Well, it's exactly. Like, you couldn't possibly be, you couldn't possibly not be thin and be happy, surely. It's yeah. a defect, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that all of that terrible uh, dialogue that we're fed ourselves. But then actually, um, she went, she, she got really into hot yoga. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then they went back and they did the scan. They were like, oh, it's, it's gone. The, the spreading of it had gone. So she had the surgery and had it removed and it was all fine. And I was like, oh, great. And then I, um, I had, I've always sort of struggled a little bit with um, mental health and depression because, you know, all smart girls do. Yeah, very true. Um, uh, All super creatives do. Yeah, like a propensity to <laughs> overthink. My my brain is like an unhelpful weapon. Um, but uh, 
I had had a bit of a rough time and then I decided to go to university in New Zealand because I was like, I, I need a fresh start. Yeah, I want fresh air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just because I love it there, you know, mm. um, it's half home. And then, I, and then I went there and that was great and I was having a great time. And then um, three months into that, I came home for, a, for the Easter holidays and mum uh, told me that this was the final curtain mm-hmm. um which and i was yeah 21 by that time so i'd had we'd had this like extra few years that felt lucky yeah but um and mm. how had she found that out like what what were her was it headaches and she went to the doctor or well, that was, I was very angry at the time because I was in New Zealand, so I didn't know any of this, but I think she had, she was driving um, and she'd started to get a bit confused and drop things. And then her, she was, someone, a friend of hers was at, um, was over for dinner and mum sort of walked into a wall okay. and it was her, so her spatial awareness started to go and yeah, and that's when she noticed, I think. But when she told me, I, I, I still live in our flat. And um, I, she she was sat at the same place um, at the table with this like big granite table, and she told me, and she was like, "It's just such a nuisance." <laughs> 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 and then we were talking about like the plan. I was because like, as soon as you know, because also this wasn't the first time she told me that she was sick. I yeah. was like, right, okay, what's the plan this time? What what's the treatment? What are we gonna do? How where are we going? And um, she was like, well, you know, I'm. I'm hopeful, but I'm I'm not going to be American about it. Yeah, I remember you saying that in that speech. Oh my god, it's so funny. Yeah, it was a, it was a. I mean, like it's just so my mother. It was just absolutely like, yeah. of course, fine. Yeah. So good, absolutely. And how do you think she was coping with it? As in, obviously, because she's your mum, she maybe has to be very strong for you, knowing that you're also a single child, mm. knowing that your dad's gone. Mm. And that you've got this wicked stepmother. Mm. Well, I mean, she just wasn't present. And he just oh, yeah. wasn't even around no. anymore. No. Right. So she's I t- didn't kill her, though. <laughs> Let that be known. Let it be known. She's been found waterboarded. Oh, God. Yeah. If she finds out, if she winds up dead in the next six months, <laughs> I am screwed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So at this point, it's... Because, of course, I mean, you have an uncle, which we'll get to, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I had. You had. Mm. Okay. Funny story... Funny story, I had, well, I had two uncles. One of them died when I was 11, Rory. He was my favorite uncle because he lived in New York. And this is your mum's brother? Yep. Yeah. Um, and my mum had two brothers and my dad's, and the, well, my dad's family is another story. Um, but my mum's... <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. My mum's other brother, Patrick, he lived around the corner and was like, he, he was like a... Him and I were very similar, so we didn't get on very well a lot of the time. But mm. then we grew to really love each other. He was like one of the smartest, most incredible men I've ever known, but also a nightmare because he was a stubborn New Zealand bloke. He was kind of a cowboy. He was a roving yes. cameraman, so he'd always be like, call us from you know Sarajevo or whatever, and you're like, oh, I thought you were coming anyway. But he um, <laughs> uh, he got malaria twice. I don't even. He's fine. He's not fine. He's dead. He died. <laughs> He died. The funny story about him is he died in the room opposite the room my mother died in at the same hospice a year later. No. Yeah. 
It was so, because it was, it's such a weird thing because like the hospice nurses were so wonderful and lovely and they were like, oh my God, it's so great to see you again. And I was like, is it? Is it? <laughs> I don't love this. And then when we were arranging his funeral, we, I kind of, because literally him and I talked about it. He was like, well, you know, we'll just have the same again. I was like, yeah, great, fine. I know how to arrange a funeral. Perfect. And then we were talking to the funeral director because I have my mum's name because I was my mum's daughter. Yep. My mum was Kathy O'Shea and I'm Molly O'Shea. And <laughs> my uncle was obviously there for uh, Patrick O'Shea. And the funeral director was this really funny woman and she was like, I'm just, I'm so sorry to have lost your mother and your father within a year of each other. And I was like, oh, no, no, he uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a very sad, he was my uncle though. And she was like, oh, thank God. Oh, I was so worried. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I'm not like relieved about it, him dying. Um, this is so weird. It was so weird and funny. It was so weird and funny. That is so weird and funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just like, that's what, I, that's what I'm writing about. You can't about, like, write that stuff. Well, you now can. <laughs> yes, I now can. You can very much take that material and make loads of money from it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, my, my specific genre is death lols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so much to cover. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's go back to how, so you, you at this point, your mum's literally the only living relative left. No. So my... Mm, so my, when my mum was still alive, um, my uncle Patrick was still alive. Okay. So my mum Oh, yes, died. of course, because he died a year later. He died a year later. Okay. Um, mm. So going back to mum, her telling you, obviously, about a brain tumour, mm. knowing this is, and mm. as you say, curtains close. Mm-hmm. How do you think, obviously, we'll get to obviously how you felt about that, but how do you think she felt about that as your mum and how... Knowing that obviously your dad had died as well, which we also need to get to. Mm. I think, well, actually I have a, you know, as I said, mum left me with this like coven of witches, you know, all of her friends who were amazing and I wouldn't be alive without all of them, actually. They're all incredible women. Um, but one of them was with her during the consultation at the doctors. Um, and so I know, I have what Lindy told me, she was like, when the doctor said, you know, it's, it's terminal, my mum said, no, <laughs> I can't do that to my daughter, which, I don't know, that's um, pretty, it doesn't, it, when she told me that I was not like, I was like, yeah, I, I know that, I can tell, I knew that doesn't, like the one thing I'm absolutely, I know above all things is that I was the love of my mother's life. Like, I just, I'm very confident in that. I don't, there's never been a lack of love. I know that. And so that is, that's heartbreaking. I don't know. There's a thing of, and I said that, like I, there was a, when mum was dying on her actual deathbed and she'd, you know, lost consciousness a long time before because the, obviously the brain tumour affects um, the brain, um, sh- I kept being like... Um, I, I, I realised that it was my duty to tell her I would be okay. And I, I was like, you know, I think it's important. I was like, you know, I'm, I told her that I, I would be okay not in spite of her death but because of her life, you know? Because she, I've always really struggled. I really want her life to be way more significant than her death. 
which is difficult because, of course, I spent so much time talking about her death in my writing and that kind of stuff. But still, I, her, her life shaped me way more than her death did. Mm. And I know that that responsibility of, you know, being a mother is the... That, that would have been the thing that broke her heart more than anything else, I think. Mm. It is that thing, isn't it, when you think of someone you love's heartbreaking mm. more so than your own, mm. even though your heart's breaking as well. Mm. What almost breaks your heart ten times more Absolutely. Is, is their heart being broken. Totally. I So when I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was three, and mum told me this story years ago about how I'd got, I'd been in hospital for months and months, and um, I... We had got home and I was sitting on that and the, on the she was sitting in the same spot that she always sat in on the big granite table and I was on her lap and she was about to inject me and I was like mummy when um but I'm not in hospital now when do the injections stop and she told me the story as being like the most heartbreaking thing that had ever happened to her because mm. obviously she had to be like never you know and that for her was just this ultimate thing. And when I think about that story, I'm like, oh my God, I'm fine. I re- like injecting myself as easy as anything. It's so not a source of any trauma for me. Mm. It's just so fine. I wish I could have, I wish I could go back to that moment and be like, listen, it's really all good. It's like brushing your teeth, but a bit sharper. It's like, you, you're fine. It's not, but it's that, I think about that, that's the, that sadness is the, the bit that I think about and I'm like, oh God, I wish I could, I feel so guilty about that she had to experience that, mm. you know? Yeah, I do. I mean, you also, I'm sure, know that you shouldn't feel guilty because you were yeah. just a yeah. tiny little child. Mm, mm, but mm. equally, I know that that thing of wanting to take something back because yeah. of knowing how it hurt them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is also, if someone says something to you that's, difficult for you to hear Mm. actually think thinking of your mum as someone who is strong like she is that she was obviously insane incredibly strong Mm. and she would have been able to have coped in the same way that you can cope do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. oh absolutely yes I'm very yeah I'm so grateful for that I think I you know I got my sense of humor certainly Mm. from her yeah. <laughs> she sounds hilarious yeah she's I actually funny. just want to write I, I want to read something about your mum that I read in her obituary just sure. because I think since we're because I do also want to get to your dad at mm-hmm. one stage because mm-hmm. obviously your dad your dad is around daddy issues <laughs> <laughs> but your mum <clears throat> I just thought this was like so nice as well for a listener to sort of capture her essence Former convent schoolgirl Kathy O'Shea was nothing if not rebellious. She smoked, she swore, she drank. She wore her hair in a waist-length plait with black Chinese satin and re- the red with black Chinese satin and the reddest lipstick. She drove a white Mercedes convertible, Doris Day blasting from the stereo. The daughter of trailblazing cinematographer John O'Shea, who produced the only three feature films very cool, that were made in New Zealand between 1940 and 1970. Kathy O'Shea was born to be unconventional. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that she was. 
And I love the way I, <laughs> I read somewhere that you'd written that she wouldn't let you leave the house without red lipstick on. Oh, God, yeah. If I, if I, yeah, she wouldn't, really. I mean, if sometimes I was like, no, but mum, like, I think, I think, like, straight boys appear to be um, afraid of red lipstick. So I, and she was like, and? <laughs> It's actually so true. They are, aren't they? I, I mean, yes. They really are. <laughs> they really are. I've had friends be like, don't mm. wear that. I know. We're straight boys. I know. And I'm like, excuse me. Yeah. Mm. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm. let's go back a bit. And you mentioned, so your dad died of a heart attack. Yeah. He suddenly was no longer in your life. Your mm-hmm. mother then became your father. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? I mean... I, I remember being, as a six-year-old, it's, it's so hard. I remember lying about his death. I remember being like, he was shot. <laughs> Telling people at school that he was shot yeah. because it sounded cooler. Yeah. Because I was an idiot and a child. No. And also I was brought up watching old Hollywood Westerns. So I was like, yeah, 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 he was shot. That's, yeah. we're going to go with that. Um, I love that you'd sort of drama, you'd like made it into a film in some way to sort of, yeah. maybe some sort of coping mechanism as well. Yeah, potentially. I think, I think also because if there's a, I don't know, I just, um, I think there's like a, I wanted it to be more interesting or something. I don't know. I think, I think mm. because when something like that happens to you, I, I, as a child, you want to talk about it all the time, but also you're already aware of like, you don't want to be like my dad died and I'm really sad all the time you know you want to be able to be like my dad died and he was shot and I I don't even remember what but you know it makes people want to talk about it more I guess I don't know also like there's no way anyone believed that a girl a six-year-old I just no one ever believed that his but also also I think it's a way of maybe you doing something very early on which you hadn't even realized you were doing whereby you make it way less awkward as well for I think both yourself and the person listening so you make it into this like yeah. more exciting drama which yeah. almost can you can detach yourself from that as well yeah. as the fact that they'll be like oh wow do you know what I mean there's this kind of rather than oh he died of a heart attack where'd you go from there yeah it's like <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't know about the drugs then, but as a six-year-old, I probably no. would have gone. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it is really awkward telling people when people are like, oh, because I've got this tattoo on my wrist and I yeah. make this terrible joke. So basically, I, just, I mean, I got it when I was like 17 and it's PMC, mm-hmm. which my dad initials, mm. my dad's initials, Peter Milligan Carey. And obviously when people ask me what that is, I freak out. And so I just go, oh, it's premenstrual cycle. <laughs> And the amount of people, I just leave it like that for a bit because the amount of people then like, yeah. the reactions are hilarious. That's amazing. And mm. then I bring in yeah, yeah. the blue. Oh yeah. And so I've like softened this yeah. thing, made it into more of a joke. Anyway, so that's like me consciously doing that as an adult. Yeah. Whereas I mean that you somewhat subconsciously did that maybe as a child. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, like, that makes absolute sense. I mean, I'd never thought about it as a, in terms of the, a detachment thing, but I think you're so right. It was probably a way for me to, tell a story instead of having to be like oh no you know mm. instead of having to feel but also my mom immediately threw me into therapy um oh wow uh and that's clever of her yeah I mean I all I did was lie to them though like I would just make up elaborate I remember thinking like it's going to be really funny to make them think that I'm going to grow up into be a serial killer 
and was like it's they'll be so worried it's going to be so funny i love your imagination i just well yeah i mean also like i mean i mean you were literally born to write <laughs> i was really worried you're about to be like you were born to kill um i was not born to kill i was not i have not yet killed the um, wicked stepmother where is she yeah right uh, um uh, I, yeah, I just was, I guess, I guess probably it was around that time, around that I first started, I first started recreational lying when I was about six. Yeah. And I did, con- I was a t- terrible liar as a child. I lied all the time about everything. Do you think that was stemmed from your dad's death? I don't, I think probably it started by me being like, the guy was shot because I was like, this is so fun yeah. to, it's so much more dramatic and I don't know. Probably, yeah. I've never really, yeah. I think I just like telling stories. And they were always ridiculous stories. Like they were always, you know, I convinced everyone. I was like, I convinced everyone at my school that Scary Spice was my aunt by marriage. (laughs) (laughs) I got so many invitations to birthday parties that year. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So good. Terrible. But then with your therapists or Mm. your therapist, do you think that they knew you were lying yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah Definitely. i mean I, it would be quite weird to think that they did it because yeah. they're doing their job yeah 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 also i wasn't good at it right yeah i was very bad you know i would say things like i don't know uh, no i don't even i don't even remember any lies i told my therapist but did you feel guilty about lying no not then and then and then i started to feel guilty about it when i was maybe 10 okay. i was like well, because they'd stopped being like fantastic, because it was really just storytelling. Because mm. most people didn't believe me, because they were obviously lies. <laughs> um, but then I, uh, yeah, and then when I was about ten, I was like, oh, this is maybe a bad road. <laughs> where did you? How did that happen? Where, did, where do you remember a feeling that that sort of was like, oh, this isn't necessarily positive? Well, yeah, I think it was around. So when I was about ten, eleven, we'd. So when I was, when I was like nine. Mum and I went to New Zealand for um, the Christmas holidays, I think, and all the summer holidays. And um, then my grandparents and my uncle Rory were still alive and they were all living there, but my grandparents were quite unwell. So we just stayed for two years and looked mm. after them, which was this amazing, like glorious time for me. Cause I got, I was living with them and I was really close to them and it was wonderful. But I was like, oh, I can reinvent myself. Cause no one, I was going to a school in New Zealand and I was this sort of, it was a weird thing because I had was this like posh British girl. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't really make sense there. So, you know, and then that happened and I was like, oh, and then I came back to London and around that time, mum's kidney was failing. So she was very unwell. And I was, I was getting really badly bullied at the school that I was in. In New Zealand? No, here when okay, I came back. Right. I came back for like, uh, yeah, we came back after two years. What were you bullied for? Uh, just being, I, well, I, I had just, I'd come in to year six at the, the, during the last term. So I was a strange weirdo. Being the other. Yeah. I yeah. was just very other. They, this was a bad thing. I, I, um, they used to make fun of my nose, which admittedly is very small and can do a weird thing, but you know. What can it do? <laughs> it's weird yeah it's weird this is it's not really podcast friendly but i yeah anyway um uh it can do a weird thing i look like an amphibian um but (laughs) i love the fact i also am not i'm just leaving the listener to just imagine whatever that was yeah god knows imagine where their minds will go but they made fun of me and i snapped one day and was like i was in a terrible car accident and this was all they could salvage and they stopped making fun of my nose 
God. I know. So I'm like, lying is bad, but also... <laughs> but it works. It works. A survival technique. But then people, like, um, parents came up to my mum and was like, I'm praying for your daughter. And I was like, oh, no. Mum was like, what have you done? <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. It all got a bit much. So then when I'd, I'd like, woven myself a web of lies at that school, and that was the place I was like, okay stop like you've got to this is bad now yeah this is very bad and so then I um but it, it sort of continued to get quite bad until because also then I had a mini teenage rebellion and my, I took my diabetes into my own hands right and was a very bad diabetic for a little while and it got quite dangerous um and then I was um and then I went to boarding school but as a um part of the, there's this amazing um um, she's a politician, Karen Buck, who is the um, Labour councillor for Westminster. Mm-hmm. And she was like, had this guinea pig idea where they took at risk children who were at, they were at risk, but they didn't have like bad family lives. There was just a very complicated situation. Um, and they, and she essentially, with government funding, funded me to go to boarding school. Wow. Um, which saved my life, absolutely because my mum was so sick and I was also taking my life in my own hands a bit. So I needed a structure that she couldn't possibly provide. Yeah. How did they find out about you? My diabetic team. Right. Um, ha- were always incredible. My diabetic team have always been just amazing. Yeah. At St. Mary's and they're, they're incredible. Yeah. And they were like, we think she's I don't know. She's going down a dodgy route. Yeah, and it. I mean, I was. God knows. I. I. Yeah. Were you somewhat suicidal at this point? I wouldn't. No, it wasn't that. I wouldn't have said that because I was eleven, and I don't even think I knew what that. Okay, was. Okay, you were really young. Yeah. yeah. Um. This wasn't. I was thinking late teenagers. No, 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 no. Right. Well, this was no. It was maybe like thirteen by the time I went to boarding school, but that period, I wouldn't. It wasn't that. It was more like a sort of. It. it I just. I just was taking my diabetes into my own hands. And when you have to, like, and when you're so young, yeah. Yeah. And when you have to inject, like, I don't know, six units of insulin for every 20 grams of carbohydrate. And if you don't do that, it really damages you. It's very easy to sort of damage yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very easy to sort of do it like a version of self harming, I suppose you'd call it. Yeah. And your mum was really ill, so she couldn't quite mm-hmm. manage you in the way that she normally could yeah. have mm. was well, she still working at this point yeah because she still had her amazing editing business mm. right mm. Mm. um there's so much to cover so I'm just gonna have Absolutely. to not like go too deeply into this sure, but sure. there's so much <laughs> I wish we had like three hours but um during this point you mentioned briefly about suffering from depression mm. earlier mm. when did that start would do you think that it was something you were born with or did that develop maybe after your dad's death or when do you think that then manifested itself and what did that feel like when it did i i think i got my first very serious bout of depression after i left school because i was like i don't know what i'm so age 18 doing yeah. yeah because i had um been like i am an actor <laughs> I will go to drama school. Oh, no, you won't, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and that was, and everyone was like, go to university. And I was like, I don't want to. So this is sort of identity crisis mode. Yeah. Yeah. And then I caved and went to Goldsmiths mm-hmm. and hated it mm. with a passion. I hated it. I hated everyone I met. I hated everyone. <laughs> I was just so miserable. And everyone was such an idiot. 
and I couldn't I just couldn't um that's and also like I'm sure now I wouldn't hate everyone but probably it was a testament to me being in a bad place that I was like ugh, you're all awful um but I just didn't I had always known I would always I, I'd always been like oh, I will be an actor and um then basically I actually had got quite lucky when I left school and I had um got an agent and this casting director quite liked me but then I basically went to loads of auditions and then I was told um in no uncertain terms that I was too fat to play pretty and too pretty to play fat right which does have an impact yep on a girl mm-hmm. <laughs> on anyone yeah it done and literally anyone and but so especially a young girl yeah, yeah young women yeah so I I think I was that was hard mm. and all of that being me basically being like oh that thing that is the only thing I've ever wanted to do I'm literally am not allowed to do it mm-hmm. and then not knowing what to do and whatever and then mum getting sick and it was all just like ugh I kind of yeah that then the depression and for me depression absolutely is like I just sleep right. I can sleep forever yeah because it's so much nicer than being awake you know yeah completely mm. and during your time of your mum having her bad kidneys and, mm. but then also working really hard did you feel somewhat parentless at that stage do you think no no was your mum also then very present during that time as much as being ill and busy yes absolutely she was always very very present and it really I mean like I remember her doing dialysis and she that was that she decided to get three kittens these the same cats that she left me with with Joey the cat he lives (laughs) um uh uh uh, he when I was 11 and she was kidney failure she got these three three kittens and I remember her um, I remember her doing dialysis mm-hmm. one day. She did it in the same place in her room. And Je- Luca, um, who was, I don't know, a year, not even a year old, this tiny kitten, burst the dialysis bag because he was like playing with it. And I was just like, and it was one of the funniest things I've ever happened. It was so funny because this cat had, it was like a medical emergency, but then the two of us were just laughing. Like it was so funny. Yeah. And that was basically what our lives were. It was just like, what? <laughs> dark yeah humor. just very dark like oh are we gonna have to go to hospital nah we'll just put a we'll just gaffer tape it yeah it's fine <laughs> that'll be fine who knows let's see it's yeah yeah she was really mm. it's actually amazing because this podcast is like you know not just about sort of fatherlessness or in this case mm. sort of parentlessness mm. or motherlessness as well but also about how your experiences in life usually to do with your dad but in this case both then sort of infiltrate into your focus directors direction mm. purpose and ultimately sort of success and I mean your work really does reflect your life with just like because you now are like an insanely talented dark comedy writer in spe- <laughs> like specifically obviously I'm sure you can branch you'll branch out at some stage if you want to because I'm sure you can write everything <laughs> but that is like the niche that you've gone down. Yeah. And it really, ha- that has been your life, mm. hasn't it? Mm. Like a dark yeah. comedy, ha- your life has been a dark comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you like very quickly at a young age decided to also make your life a story with mm. your dad and his death. Yeah. Which is really interesting, I think. Yes, yes. So now I want to talk about your relationships. And I know I'm skipping quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But I like back and forth and loads of different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there is because there's so much because there's so much to still get to. <laughs> and we've got like not too long left. So you mentioned, so your mum became your, actually, 
when you say that your mum became your dad, mm. what did that entail? What do you mean by that? Well, I suppose I didn't ever really notice a shift because nothing, when my dad died, it wasn't like daily life changed mm. because I didn't see him every day. But I just, I don't know. I never, I was just, it was just that she just was my, she just was both parents. There wasn't, I never felt an absence. I always felt weird, but I mean, I think I was always going to feel weird. I'm mm. a weird girl and <laughs> she was weird. And I like that about both of us, you know? Mm. It's like, I don't know. It never, it just was never, it was just the way it was. It doesn't, and I never felt like that we needed a guy really. And actually when I was, when I was 18, mum was cutting, um, she was filming there and she was cutting this film at home. And there was this director, Jeffrey, who was a lovely man, but he was there all the time. And I was like, why is this man here constantly? Why is he always here? He's always here. And I was like, oh, that, maybe that's what having a father's like. That is, no, that's untenable. Absolutely not. <laughs> How old were you at this point? 18. Right. I was like, this is not, I don't. So at the stage to be like, nah. Yeah, I was like, I mean, the, make, make it was, your, you make your own decisions a bit. Well, it was just that like, I was like, I'm so glad I didn't have to live with this. He's so annoying all of the time. He's always there. He has an opinion on everything. Why, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> like if you go to do something he's like you're doing that wrong and I'm like I don't, it's my damn house what are you <laughs> but but also now, like now I love him he's a really amazing man and the film was really beautiful but that was honestly my first experience of like living with a man yeah and I was like no thank you <laughs> so your mum throughout your life she didn't have relationships with men no no she was very focused on her work and you or if she did I didn't know about them right um but yeah it was she was I don't think she would have had time um, to be honest, because she was so career and mother driven. Yeah. Like we were never, she would finish work sometimes insanely late at like three in the morning because she was cutting with some very eccentric, amazing director and would always drive me to school the next day. Right. We yeah. always had the time in the car together, even in her most stressful, like insane times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh, she sounds like such a cool woman. <laughs> yeah, she was really cool. She was very cool. And so with your relationships, you did mm-hmm. mention earlier about, because you didn't have like a male figure in your life from the age of six, yeah. really, yeah. you was like, what are men? How do, how do they work? <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> Literally, what is this? What is that short-haired version of another human being? I mean, yeah. So with that, yeah. how do you think not having a dad or even a male figure in your life has affected your relationships I with mean, men? The male figure in my life is Joey the cat. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, it's funny because I think like my... I'm not seeing your mum, sorry, in relationships. So you haven't had any sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my best friend, Lily, who's my oldest friend, who I believe you know, mm-hmm. Lily Bertram. Yes, love. She's amazing. Her Shout family <laughs> has always been like, I've always felt a part of her family mm-hmm. to the extent that when her younger sister, when when, when uh, Danny Leela told us that they were pregnant, I was like, no, excuse me? You did not? Why didn't you ask me? I'm part of this family. Yeah. You didn't okay this with me. Um, Bella knows that. She's now an adult woman who I love very much, but I was not happy. Um, but I felt very like their life was, I was like, oh, this is, I mean, and also they're very unconventional in terms of conventional life. But for me there, I was like, ah, yes, you are normal. <laughs> and like Leela's a casting director. Danny's an actor. They were far from normal. Mm-hmm. They were this beautiful bohemian family. Um, and uh, I'm still very close to them. And Danny was, I was like, look, that is dad. 
that is a father. Mm-hmm. There you go. And he was so fun. And he, it was like, we had the best time with him. And I was always like, ah, oh, yes. I kind of, you are the example of that. And then when I was older, my friend Rose, my other, I basically collect people's families mm-hmm. in a non-creepy way. Um, <laughs> and my friend Rose, I became very close to her family. I, I went to boarding school with her and her whole family like became my family too. And her dad, Paul, I was like, and I, I can, whenever he says anything, I'm like, yep. He has this rule about if you, if you find a pair of shoes that you really like, you should definitely buy two of them. And I, like, <laughs> he just has like all these little facts that I, I like collect because I'm like dad knowledge, store all the dad knowledge that you can ever get because yeah. you don't have any of it. Yeah. And I just, whenever, and I do feel that like I've collected, I've sort of got the best of other people's dads, basically. Mm. I don't have, I don't have like a, an abandonment complex or anything. I don't feel like that in any way. I just, I'm like, I think also my friend Rose, who's smarter than me, um, thinks that I basically was, you know, the men in my life were the men in movies mm-hmm. and I was brought up watching movies. So I have... In the same way that men have an unrealistic expectation of what women are from movies, I have an unreal expect- unrealistic expectation of what men are from films. Mm-hmm. And that combined with my highlights reel of like stealing the best bits of everyone else's dad, I'm, I think I'm like, I'm a bit, yeah, men are still this like thing I don't really know and understand. Well, mm-hmm. like straight men anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Like, same <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm like I don't and I have no and actually when I was a few years ago in my early 20s I was like I think I'm I think I'm honestly afraid of them mm-hmm. I'm just like I don't have any I don't know what to talk to you about mm-hmm. I don't like how do you know when they're attracted to you do they make a smell what do their ears wriggle <laughs> what are the rules I don't understand because people are always like you know it's not like it is in movies but I'm like so what is it like then yeah I don't like, how are you supposed to know what it's like? Yeah. If these, if this real life that's shown to you for a screen yeah. isn't real life. Yeah. I don't understand. Also because, you know, for the majority of my 20s, I was very depressed and didn't really experience life because my mum had died and my uncle had died and it was really sad and I was in a dark place. So I didn't really get to experience that like, oh, look, I'm making mistakes with boys thing, but I'm making up for it now. <laughs> A whoop, whoop. <laughs> with making mistakes with boys. <laughs> Your next short film. Oh God. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. So men are a bit of an enigma. Mm. Even um, now, yeah. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It's an interesting road to go down, I think, because I've only very recently started. I think looking. Ironically, I'm doing a podcast called Daddy Issues, mm. but like I've only recently started with my psychotherapist, who I've been seeing for the past year. But I've only very recently been going into the sort of relationships thing mm. with men or my relationships with men, which now are starting to make loads of sense. But it is something you really have to delve into because you're mm. like, hang on, what are they? Why are these? Mm. Why do I feel so sort of, why am I going down these weird patterns or these unhealthy or seem to find myself always in some sort of unhealthy situation? Yeah. Mm. And mm. it does, it does take some real inner thought absolutely yeah definitely which is fucking exhausting it's so exhausting <laughs> it's so exhausting thinking about yourself all of the time yeah, exactly. it's really draining Ugh, every day is just <laughs> so exhausting <laughs> yeah it's a really i mean taking responsibility for that is hard but also you know there's the thing about like i that's the thing i, I so i had this idea i had this um 
theory the other day that I thought up and it's not based on any evidence I just thought it and was like maybe that's true who knows but the, the idea that you know like I was thinking about why women call men daddy during sex mm. and I was like that's Never so that. weird because it is definitely not like we're not picturing our dads when we do that no way that is not what's going on yeah. and I was like what is that how on earth did that happen and I was like I bet you any money that actually it's it's because and this is a sad tale but so much of female pleasure is you know because I, I really believe in the power of like sexual conditioning I think there's you know well social conditioning of course, and sexual conditioning as a result of that. And the way we are taught about female pleasure is so secondary to male pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so much of female pleasure is about giving men pleasure. Mm -hmm. So much of our pleasure during sex is about making the guy feel really good. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, you know, that was just like, I didn't, like I learned, I like practiced how to give a blowjob on a banana long before I knew what the clitoris was. Why? That's stupid. Yeah. That's not right. <laughs> yeah. But, and I think because of that, there's like, and I was like, you know, where does the, the daddy thing come from? And I was like, well, in porn, it probably comes from porn. And porn is designed primarily for men. Mm. And I was like, I think actually it's not our daddy issues that make us call you daddy when we're having sex with you. It's that we know you like it. <laughs> and oh I think God, so true. fundamentally it's because women... Well, no, it's because men really just, all they really want is to be needed. And like, there's something about That's being, yeah, there's like the daddy thing is like, cause we, the thing we need most in the world is daddies. Absolutely untrue. But you know, it, it, that is culturally what we are led to believe. Yeah. And so that, I, I don't know, like maybe that's a wild theory. I don't know, but it makes I sense to me. I love that theory. I think that does make a lot of sense. Mm. Weird though. I actually recently, I will not name him, obviously, but I recently spoke to a friend who is gay, a gay man, mm -hmm. and he is sleeping with, or his new boyfriend says daddy when they have sex. Mm -hmm. So it does go in for every mm. direction. Yeah, As yeah, in yeah, like, yeah. it's, you know. It's totally intersectional, yeah. It's a thing. Well, it's a learned thing, you know, like mm. in like so much of everything is learned. You know, uh, uh, even... Yeah, and, and my friend said, I was like, oh, you can't like that. Mm. And he goes, no, I fucking love it. Yeah, right. Great. <laughs> and his dad's not around. Right. And I was like, oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Your uncle then died a year after your mum. Yes. We've really not covered much. You should write a book, by the way. <laughs> if there's any publishers listening to this right now, because your story is a thick book. <laughs> And you're 30 years old. So <laughs> do not reveal my age. Oh, yeah. We'll edit that out. <laughs> and I am a young woman. A very, yeah. very young woman. But you then were sort of, um, I guess, thrown into this new world full of new relatives. Mm. And especially like your first, your dad, age six, and then your mum. Of course, you had all these surrogate families, mm. which is obviously wonderful, mm. but isn't that sort of not that it doesn't I don't want to say that it's more important to have blood relatives than not because I don't believe I believe you make your own family anyway which I'm sure you know absolutely very well yeah but I guess there is that sort of unusual experience mm. of suddenly having no blood relatives yeah apart from your wonderful cats <laughs> yes technically we're not related by blood <laughs> yeah. um but that's really only a technicality <laughs> yeah. at this stage so what did that feel like and also 
to now be an orphan, mm. which is obviously a scary word for lots of people, I guess. Yeah. What did that feel like? Um, absolutely terrifying. It was really, and like also I just, I mean, I just think in terms of, I remember the first time someone used the word orphan to describe me. I was like, mm. oh, but, oh. <laughs> because I was mm. like, well, you can't be an adult orphan, can you? Is that, can you be an adult orphan? Yeah. I was orphaned as an adult. Yeah. But do we, how does that, what are the rules? And then, and then, and then, oh, I don't know how, like, I'm so, you know, I'm very naive in many ways. I remember being in LA a few years ago and um, it was nearly Christmas time. And I was talking to this actress who will remain nameless. Um, and we were chatting and she was like, well, you know, it's my first orphan's Christmas. So I'm, and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Me too. That's, oh my God, what are you doing? And she was so like upbeat about it. And, and, and I was like, oh my God, that's so exciting. To, I don't really, I don't know anyone else who's my age who's in the same boat. And she was like, really? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm going to Skype my parents. Um, but, you know, and I was like, oh, yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why does Orphan's Christmas, how, what, what is wrong with people? Why do you think that that's an okay thing? It's not. No, you're just having an independent Christmas. Like, I don't shut up. It's so annoying. It's so wildly annoying. I was like, well, I feel like an idiot. And also I hate you. Yeah. So good luck Skyping your parents. (laughs) Did you then say? No, no, no. no. I was like, I could ruin your life right now. Yeah. I have that power. Yeah, yeah. But I will not use it. But I shall not use yeah. it. I will save it for yeah. Yeah. another time. I'll save it for a podcast that you listen to when you're like, oh, yeah, I thought you were weird after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I have to say, like, that's Christmas and birthdays are interesting. Mm. Um, I kind of think I sort of go as, you know, like there's with every bit of joy, there's like a little bit of sadness, like. You know, I've just, I'm making this film and we got some really great feedback from it. And I was suddenly had a moment of feeling pride. And I was like, ah, ah, you know, because I can't, you can't share that with the family. And I think like, I mean, Christmas also, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but Christmas is interesting because I've always been with people and I have many of these amazing families that are my family now. And it's always wonderful. But fundamentally, other people's Christmases are weird just even if someone's Christmas is, ex- is identical to your Christmas, but I don't know, they cook the sprouts differently. Mm. It feels weird. Yeah. And I've, ha- I've spent multiple Christmases with the same family before, but I'm now like kind of just have decided I want to change it up. And, and last Christmas for the first time, I was like, I think I want to try and do it alone because every Christmas I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm a bit sad. But I can never really be sad because I don't want to be a killjoy for everyone. And I, you know, I don't want to ruin everyone's Christmas by being like, you know, woe is me. I miss my mum. So then this year I went to um, Marrakesh. I took myself to Marrakesh. And I woke up on Christmas Day and I was like, I'm a bit sad. And that's totally fine. Mm. And then I walked around and had a great time. I bought a coat on Christmas Day, which felt wonderful i also tried on ball gowns on christmas day oh yes i saw instagram story you looked fucking phenomenal thank you very much i hope you got all three (laughs) i bought the coat i did not buy the ball gowns um uh it was great and then i was and then i like read my book on a rooftop drinking fresh mint tea it was really lovely Mm. 
and I was like, this is, it can just be, it's about, you have to redefine everything now. And I think that was always, my life was always going to be like that. Had my mum died or not, I was probably always going to have to redefine things because I tend to overthink things. And then if you overthink something that much, it stops making sense. So you have to make it make sense for you, you know? Completely. Hmm. And on that note, Hmm. I'm going to ask you two questions because you have two parents who are no longer around. (laughs) So I'm going to start with your dad because I feel like he went first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll go in chronological order. Mm -hmm. Dark comedy there. (laughs) (laughs) So if your dad was listening to this episode right now, what would you want to say to him? Hmm. I would want to say that... (sighs) It's such a hard one. I think... I'd want to say, like, I hope that you would like me. Um, I think that the coolest thing about my dad is that he was with my mum. Because from what I know about the heterosexual male, being with a woman who is so independent and herself and... Uh, eccentric and opinionated and all of those things is really challenging being with such a free spirit is challenging and I think he must have been really cool to have not been intimidated by my mum and that I really respect and I'm so grateful for him in that way I'm so glad I'm like really glad that he was my dad I'm really lucky that he was a strange like Irish optician a strange Irish optician who wasn't scared of amazing women I guess Mm. Mm. and if your mum was listening to this episode right now what would you want to say to her I know I packed the dishwasher wrong I know that probably still really annoys you. (laughs) I mean, everything I will ever do is for her. And I am so grateful. I'm just so lucky that I'm half of her. I'm so lucky that genetically we're linked And even if, I'm just so lucky. She was so cool. She was so much cooler than me. And that's amazing. It's, uh, you know, I think having a parent you really want to like you is really rare. You know, I would, it's my greatest hope that if my mum met me on the street today and she wasn't my mother, that we'd be friends. And I think we would. Yeah, I think we would. Oh, I've just got so many tingles. <laughs> Literally, look at my arms. My arm. <laughs> oh my god! Thank you so much, Molly O'Shea. You have been phenomenal. Thank you so much for having me. Loved it. It's been a joy. 
thank you so much for listening to this episode with Molly O'Shea. Oh my goodness me, Molly is amazing. Molly is amazing. I actually have never met someone who has such a wonderful relationship with death. And of course, humour is a way of coping and as discussed in the episode is the way that her and her mother um, continued to cope with the obstacles that life kept throwing at them. Death has been as much a part of her life as life. And I think it just paints a beautiful picture on how you can cope and deal with tragedy and pain and loss as much as it of course doesn't mean that the pain and the loss of it is any less and then of course the way that she puts that into her work which I think again is just so accessible for people to engage with because without sounding like Miss Miss Preach Face you can't experience joy without pain and you can't experience love without loss and I think because Molly has had to cope with so much loss in her life she therefore has developed this very healthy relationship with loss I just think the way Molly articulates her loss and her experiences as I said as much as it doesn't take away from the pain and the realness that it feels for her is I think hugely inspirational and thank you Molly for coming on and for sharing your story and for being so wonderful. If you've been affected at all by anything that's come up in the episode, I advise two places where you can visit. The first is Julia Samuel's website, www.juliasamuel.co.uk. The other place is www.untangle.life, which is for people experiencing grief. Love to thank Warren Borg at Wargy Productions for doing all the mastering and compressing, and Julietta for providing Daddy Issues podcast season two music, which I am obsessed with. Lastly, I'd love to thank all of you for listening and also staying on this long to listen to the rest of the outro as without you of course there would be no podcast so thank you so much and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or night